This is the Grin Podcast, and I am Hindol Sen Gupta. I am delighted to welcome on the Grin Podcast, Dr. Gautam Sen. Dr. Gautam Sen, welcome to Grin. Thank you. Dr. Sen, of course, taught political economy and strategy at the London School of Economics for more than two decades, and he was closely associated as an advisor. on strategic matters to the indian government for a long time and he's been involved in, in the indian economy and indian political matters uh, for more than a decade dr sen we obviously talking to you at a time when once again tensions have flared between india and pakistan to nuclear armed south asian neighbors and we're delighted to welcome you onto this podcast to talk to us a little bit about what has been your lifelong abiding interest how can countries which are nuclear armed maintain a sense of decorum and a sense of peace between themselves what are the strategies that they can apply to bring some sort of equanimity between them well of course the best uh, way of addressing the nuclear dilemma in which two countries threaten each other with annihilation and cause irreparable damage to the entire world through a nuclear winter is to minimize the political tensions which prompt the use of mutual threats that of course is the most important underlying solution to this very serious problem this is not a minor matter this is the greatest threat facing humanity since the nuclear tests after the second world war but beyond that there's a second level that is operational which is given that there are divergences political tensions between countries how do you reduce the danger of a nuclear exchange uh, such a nuclear exchange can occur by accident that is a pure accident where you accidentally lose a device while the plane is going off the ocean and somehow it triggers or much more likely a misreading of the intentions of one party by of the other so for example I'll give you a graphic example if either india or pakistan were to believe with near certainty that an attack was impending the rational thing to do perspective of ideology nature of government economy might be to launch a preemptive strike and to launch a preemptive strike even in the knowledge that some missiles are going to strike your country because your preemptive strike will reduce a number of missiles which survive to attack you uh, so this is a kind of game theoretic dilemma it is a situational problem in which the issue of morality rights and wrongs are of very marginal secondary concern so again having failed to resolve the political tensions 
which result in mutual threats. What can you do to reduce the danger? Uh, paradoxically, um, uh, the situation which leads to stability is for both parties to have a guaranteed second strike ability, which means no matter what happens to you and your country, uh, that you will be able to retaliate. So the other party will always have to act in the knowledge that there is no free lunch. That if you strike first, if you try to surprise the enemy, it will not really be a surprise. And the enemy, despite suffering grievous damage, will punish you with severity that you do not wish to sustain. Now, the way this is now becoming guaranteed for countries, and I think for India in recent months, is to have a three-tier level of nuclear launch ability. One is missiles from the ground, which you hide as best as you can so that they are not easily vulnerable to a first strike from another party uh, by aircraft, uh, which will fly over enemy territory to deliver nuclear bombs, much in the way the ghastly bombs were dropped over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But of course, uh, this kind of bombardment will be much more sophisticated and more difficult to interdict, but aircraft can be interdicted. I mean, you cannot have a guarantee. Missiles launch from land also are one. And the third important is that you missiles based in submarines, the so-called submarine launch, SLBM, submarine launch ballistic missiles. So having these three tiers mean that an enemy will not be able to eliminate all three levels any confidence to avoid your counterattack with the so-called second strike. Uh, so this is stability. And I wonder, well, sorry, please go on. But the problem is, you know, what happens if, you know, if there's a misreading when one party is not intending to strike, but you have reason to believe that they are, and then you have the dilemma of deciding whether or not to preempt and precipitate, if you like, mutually assured destruction. Whether in the case of the Soviets before 1990 and the Americans, or between contemporary India and Pakistan today. And the question, therefore, I want to ask you, Dr. Sen, is that we stand at a moment when India has what most people believe who study this second strike capabilities because it has announced the completion of its triad which means it is the sixth country in the world which has the ability to launch a nuclear weapon from air, from land and from sea via a nuclear-powered submarine called the Arihant. And it so transpires that in spite of some moves by the Pakistanis, Pakistan does not have this kind of capability. So we have a situation where clearly one party has a particular ability which the other does not possess. And in what you were just explaining, this is clearly therefore not stability. What does that mean for the risk of nuclear war? I do believe the risk of nuclear war is quite small, except by mistake. Um, Why is that? If either side believes for some reason that your adversary is going to launch, then you may 
want to preempt even if the other side hasn't really any intention of hurting you so it can happen and mistakes can happen these are ultimately controlled by human beings and the lower down the food chain the command goes the greater the risk of such a mistake now in the indo pakistan case there is something a little bit more serious and i would say a little bit unprecedented whereas which is that the use of threat of nuclear war to leverage political goals this is a kind of brinkmanship about which thomas shelling talked about in the early 60s that brinkmanship can bring you dividends but this was so dangerous that i think neither the usa nor the ussr uh, descended to this level of nuclear deterrence but for the first time on the indian subcontinent a country is actually put into practice from a shelling and is practicing brinkmanship by threatening uh, nuclear war in response to any sort of conventional assault now this week that has been tested and found to actually have been in nuclear parlance a bluff but this is very dangerous that you leverage nuclear weapons for very um, uh, clear cut actually not major political goals now to avoid this india and pakistan have taken steps as did other countries one is confidence building measures they exchange maps of areas which are not to be attacked by conventional forces they give notice to each other about their missile tests so that you know that this is a missile test which is going to land over here it is not a missile which is intended to strike you and also actually india has given a guarantee of a no first strike that that they will not resort to nuclear weapons except to retaliate now but there isn't at the moment because india has this triad now capability there is an imbalance isn't it and therefore using your logic is there there is instability at the moment is there um it makes conventional war more likely because the indians were somewhat hesitant to launch any kind of retaliatory measure across the line of control or the international border because they could not be 100% sure that they would survive a first strike now once you're in the ocean now india is not quite there is one one submarine i think you need a few more to have a portfolio which guarantees that um but what it means is that it's more likely that you will resort to conventional war because you know that the other side should be aware that any nuclear attack will result in retaliation a sure retaliation now the issue of no first strike which i actually have been an advocate of and supported the government to doing unlike some people who are also supporters of government because though pakistan actually should not believe this they will not believe this because they will reason if india knows for sure that we are going to strike they would definitely preempt to the first strike so that will be a violation of no first strike from that logic they have to conclude that india whatever it says however guarantee given by india from the highest levels with all solemnity introduces that little space of reassurance that they have said at the highest levels in the presence of the international community that they will not resort to this it is not a great deal but it is something now the problem that arises in the indo pak con- context which is going to get much much worse is the resort to anti ballistic missiles by india now if you have anti ballistic missiles 
what it means is that you are more likely to engage in a first strike by which it means that you will destroy most of the enemies in the first enemies missiles in the first strike and then try to catch the rest with your anti ballistic missile network so the temptation the other side will believe for you to engage in a first strike is that much greater so what they do in order to evade this potential game theoretical scenario is they multiply the number of missiles they have so it is much more difficult for you to destroy them so if you multiply the number of missiles and then pakistan has done thing more which is actually particularly dangerous they're talking about battlefield nuclear weapons which means it goes the control goes down the chain of command to lower levels and in the pakistan case is something unique where there are people who are ideologically voted motivated who do believe the world will come to an end and we will start all over again for religious reasons so there's a greater element of risk no matter how many controls you have that somebody somewhere may have control and for some reason may begin a nuclear war now and in uh, indeed pakistan has used tactical weapons like the nuclear weapons like the nasser to counter what is known as india's cold start doctrine isn't it yes this is the kind of battlefield stuff that they are threatening to use because they feel they cannot uh, deal with a conventional indian assault so the indians have striven to reassure them that we are not intending to do this but then you know there's a level of provocation where the indian will and patience will be tested if you attempt to decapitate the indian political leadership its prime minister its cabinet ministers as was attempted in 2001 december 13 i remember i was sitting in delhi in the hotel watching this happen unfold i had gone to see the prime minister in fact and i was watching this unfold on television now then the obligation for the country to respond is compelling they will respond and this is what happened india mobilized in operation parakram and then this cold start came after that so all of this tension actually makes the nuclear deterrence potentially a danger unstable so the imperative of an understanding and peace are immense but that only works if both sides are prepared to compromise and on j and k compromise is very difficult because it's kind of either or demand and also the demands have altered since 1948 because now it is very clear that kashmir has become part of a global jihad that is also intending at least in the utterances of jihadi leaders to liberate india to restore the glories of mogul rule now all of this makes for a very difficult situation whatever the truth if that kind of ideological fervor is in play we are in some danger but nevertheless one must always bear in mind a nuclear holocaust is a one off event and it is permanent there can be hardly any goal over which you engage in a nuclear exchange there can be hardly any goal but beware your self confidence beware the danger of misreading beware the danger of accidental mishap and it is not simply indian pakistan a serious exchange is very likely to cause a nuclear winter which will wipe out a significant portion of the earth's population that is the entire world is involved i would suggest any danger of nuclear war between india and pakistan and the other nuclear powers will be tempted to intervene very decisively to protect themselves from the danger of a nuclear winter that arises from indo-pak nuclear war basically it is a mess on a grand scale and we must find ways 
with ingenuity and humility to address this grievous grievous danger let's talk a little bit about from such an apocalyptic scenario the morals of nuclear weapons and the use of nuclear weapons uh, you know this has been debated many times on what sort of morals enable us to bring about or bring into play nuclear weapons and do you believe in the philosophical and the moral framework and understanding of nuclear weapons and their use where has the conversation or how has the conversation progressed over the years and where are we today in understanding what kind of moral and ethical framework philosophical framework we must use to understand the upkeep purchase construction and indeed of course use of nuclear weapons I, i'm i'm afraid that uh, my experience and understanding of the developing situation of nuclear deterrence since the late 1940s 50s is it can only be explained by a profound human folly i think there has been very little progress because deterrence had become stable with between the the uh, americans and the russians the ussr uh, because both sides had second strike capability there were some very near misses there were some dangerous situations where for example once the there was a time and uh, the russians were convinced the uh, so americans were convinced an assault was imminent and they went on high alert and this was simply a misreading a misreading of the uh, uh, signaling complete misreading and we came very close now what we are seeing is a, a graphic illustration of human folly that nuclear weapons are being used to leverage political advantage for example the us creating a scenario with is uh, by violating the salt other treaties which start talks have now reneged the russians have withdrawn they are trying to plant nuclear weapons very close to russia and improve the nuclear weapon creating a situation where they can engage in a first strike and signal to the russians after the first strike we will be able to interdict your retaliatory nuclear strikes against us now with this scenario they want to leverage political advantage effectively to blackmail to get their way but once you have this and the missiles are in, as they were in turkey in 1962 and then the russians retaliated by putting them in cuba that if we do that you put them close to say ukraine poland um, uh, endangering europe by the way grievously because russians will strike here and then you blackmail now what the russians have done is they are now investing massively in technology where their missiles will be invulnerable they have now something hypersonic which goes i don't know how many times the sound uh, the speed of sound which will evade and they are investing heavily in submarines so it just shows that uh, uh, learning seems to be a very difficult thing for humanity i won't even blame any country or any polity or any politician this seems to be a very deep part of a psyche which is self destructive and potentially may result in catastrophe as i say uh, dr sen you know war is the father of man in a sense you know victor hansen's famous words um and and that seems to really play out in the use and abuse should i say of nuclear weapons 
when you look into the future you spent so much of your career uh, studying this when you look into the future do you see anything any ray of hope that could bring us out of the current imbroglio well there is nothing in the current situation gives confidence that there is a new logic uh, in operation that will lead to a different set of outcomes there is nothing now that would lead me to believe that but of course we are going to enter a much more multipolar system where there'll be three major powers that is Russia the United States China and perhaps a bit later uh, India uh, and this multipolarity might change the nature of the payoff structure and perceived benefits for each individual player and in such a situation the conflicts may be more fluid if the conflicts are more fluid then your inclination to create weapons of mass destruction against one particular country will change the danger will not go away but it may not be so fixed and obsessive if it's between two major countries uh, unfortunately we're entering a period where as you know the, the great historian has pointed out there is every danger that the sino american rivalry will end badly the examples from the past particularly sparta and athens and others show that um, even rational leaders are sometimes un- unable to uh, avoid conflict when there is a major transition afoot and the power equation is about to change and the, uh, the declining power will be tempted to uh, attack the rising power before the rising power uh, ascendancy becomes <coughs> impossible to uh, repudiate now a similar thing applies to india too in the sense that the temptation for india's adversaries to strike at india now is very great because with the growth rate of say 8% over 14 years india's economy will triple in size every 14 years at 8% you triple now 14 years is not very long india will have tripled and then in another 28 14 28 years it will triple again if it keeps going uh, then india becomes relatively vulnerable to assault so the temptation may be that we deal with this uh, upstart now and i see in what i read in the journals that this temptation is there except of course uh, the issue is not quite simple because uh, say a sino indian conflict will drag in other powers so it will become a larger war because india's absence is also going to be very inconvenient for other players in the region and beyond uh, but overall in a nuclearized world the more you multiply the logic says you multiply the dangers of accident of mistreating misunderstanding and it is not really war deterrence is a form of warfare because you use deterrence to achieve political goals but nuclear exchange is not war it is the end warfare still leaves something behind for the victor and for the loser but nuclear exchange will leave nothing behind for anyone that's right um it does seem quite dire um and i i therefore want to conclude this interview on uh, some sort of 
boat of some hope um do you think there is of course a demographic change that's happening around the world um, you spoke about that demographic change uh, you have spoken about that demographic change in other interviews including with the bbc recently uh, do you see that demographic change which is of course going to happen in asia is already happening in asia uh, is happening in africa uh, there is also a demographic change of a different kind uh, in constituents uh, that's happening in america in europe what impact will that have can we draw any uh, sense of hope from this sort of change um this really will be flying a kite but you know there there is a very respectful branch of international relations which has written extensively about constructivism yes which basically you know says that our conflicts are partly not objective but constructed by our perception yeah. i'm simplifying alexander wentz book is on the shelf that i can see from here alexander wentz very fine book on this uh maybe a new generation will start looking at the world in a different way because as somebody said uh, ideas never die it's people who hold them die yeah <laughs> maybe the current generation will simply grow old and expire right and ideas will come uh, and p- partly because there will be greater appreciation of the fact that uh, the payoff of peace also is very great yes the indeed the war arises indeed. partly from you know mutual uh, uh, assured destruction mis- yeah and mistrust especially mistrust that you know the, uh, indeed you don't trust the other party so you you harm but maybe they will but of course the demographic change have will have an impact which is uh, whose consequences are not so easy to ascertain for example it's pretty much clear there'll be a shrinkage of population of significant proportions in japan russia and italy and maybe others too america will be less english speaking and more latin and south asia will be more muslim than of other communities because the birth rate is much higher but that is also true in some in belgium holland england france so these changes have consequences which are a bit hard to predict of course there'll be different people but i do not believe is an automatic predisposition towards peace or war in any given population except of course the constructivists might prove to be right that we will rethink and i think uh, sooner rather than later later would be a good idea that's that's a wonderful note uh, dr sen uh, that's that's truly a um, a note of peace and a note of hope to end this interview on thank you very much for taking time off to talk to us from your home in london thanks very much dr gautam sen former professor at the london school of economics who taught strategy and political economy for more than two decades at the lse talking to grin i'm hindol sen gupta thanks for listening and thank you dr sen thank you very much thank you hindol